Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 25. Matthew 4, 18 to 25. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible under the chair in front of you. It looks like this. And you could turn to page 857. It's going to go from 857 to page 858 here in the black hardback pew Bible. If you want to follow along there or if you want to follow along in the, the Christian Standard Bible, the English translation that we're using this morning. Hear then the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we praise you that you speak, that we have a copy of the Bible in front of us and that we can read it and hear your voice see or listen to your word. Father, we thank you that you're alive and that you speak and reveal yourself to us. And so we ask now that you would incline our desires to your word and not to material gain or earthly treasures that are disconnected from you. We pray that you would open our hearts to see wonderful things here in your word and that you would convict us and encourage us and strengthen us. We pray that you would satisfy us this morning with your steadfast covenant faithful love sealed in the blood of Christ that we would rejoice and be glad in you all of our days. So now we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and help us because Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are here in Matthew chapter 4 now, and we're going through the gospel according to Matthew. So let me just recap what we've been going through so far, because this is really the story of Jesus. So Jesus is the son of David, David, the son of Abraham, from that descending line. He's the son of Joseph, not biologically, but legally. And he is the son of Mary, who was a virgin when she conceived and gave birth to Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 1, we have the birth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 2, Herod tries to kill Jesus, but he fails to kill Jesus. They escape to Egypt. And then out of Egypt, God calls his son Jesus back to the land, just like out of Egypt, he called Israel his son out of the land of Egypt and slavery back to the land. And Jesus is um, recapitulating and um, reenacting and fulfilling the story of Israel. 
So he comes back from Egypt. He gets, he, John the Baptist steps on the scene and starts preaching about repentance from sin and the hope of the Messiah to come. Jesus steps on the scene. Jesus gets baptized by John. He comes up out of the water. God the Father said, this is my son. The Holy Spirit anoints, or Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness. And he takes on Satan the devil one-on-one in the wilderness. After 40 days of fasting, he is tempted, tested, and defeats Satan. From there, the ministry in Galilee begins. And we talked about that in my last sermon here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Jesus leaves Nazareth. He goes to Galilee and light begins to shine from Galilee. In verse 17, it says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. And here's his message. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's going around preaching. So So now we get to this next section in Matthew 4, verse 18, and Jesus calls, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, he's been preaching the gospel, and actually this is almost year two of his ministry. We're going to rewind in a second, but let's just pick up Matthew's narrative here. So Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers fishing, or being done fishing, they're fishermen, he's in Capernaum, which is a fisherman's town, and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishermen of people rather than fishermen of fish. And so immediately they leave their nets and they follow Jesus. So now Jesus with, with Andrew and Peter behind him, he, walk, he walks along the sea. He sees the next boat or a few boats later, he sees James and John, whom, he, whom he's familiar with. And he says to them, follow me. There they are preparing their nets, cleaning up their nets and uh, mending the broken parts of the nets, taking out the other things that are caught in the net besides fish. A lot of junk at the bottom of the lake. So they're cleaning that out and getting it ready for the next day, preparing their nets. And they leave their nets and they leave their dad, their almost retired father, to, to, to fix the nets by himself. They leave him to go follow Jesus. And so they follow Jesus. And then from there, um, Matthew kind of fast forwards the story a little bit and he goes to verse, in verse 23. He begins to, all, to go all over Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the, king, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease. So um, the word is spreading out about him. He's healing the afflicted. He's um, helping those who are suffering from diseases and intense pains. He's casting out demons who are oppressing and influencing and disturbing people. And he's healing all kinds of people, epileptics, paralytics. So uh, you can imagine with a strong preaching ministry and teaching ministry in the synagogues and healing and all kinds of miracles, that's going to build a buzz. Jesus sort of goes viral, as, as it were, in that day, at least in that area. And so you got large crowds following him all over Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. This is all of Israel and even beyond the land of Israel. People are coming to see who this guy is, what he's doing. All right, so that's the story here. Um, the, the following of the calling of Peter and Andrew, the calling of James and John, and then Jesus preaching, teaching, and healing all over Galilee as large crowds also follow him. The main verb here, or the main command, is in verse 19, and then again, um, or verse 19 actually, and then verse 21 assumes it. What does Jesus say to Peter and Andrew? What's the command? Follow me, and I will make you fishermen of people. That translation here is, I will make you fish for people. I think I'd like to translate it a little bit better. I will make you fishermen of people. 
But same thing, I'll make you fish for people. So the command is, follow me. Whether you're Peter and Andrew, whether you're James and John, he calls James and John later, and they, and they follow. And then later at the end of the story, large crowds are what? What are they doing? The large crowds, they're what? Gathering, Gathering but what's the word there in the text in verse 25? Large crowds are what? Following Jesus, okay? So this whole passage is about what? Following Jesus. Whether you're Peter and Andrew, whether you're leaving your nets, whether you're leaving your nets and your family, or whether you're large crowds who are hearing about the preaching, teaching, and healing ministry of Jesus, people are following Jesus. And so Jesus' command to us today is what? Follow him. He's telling you, follow me. That's what Jesus is saying to you today. Non-Christian, Jesus is saying, follow me. Christian, Jesus is saying to you, follow me, continue to follow me. That's the command, follow Jesus. That's the main goal or the main intent here of, of, this, of this passage. Follow me and I will make you fishermen of people. What does it mean to be a fisherman of people? It means, well, to fish for people, that means you try to, what do you try to do? If you're a fisherman of fish, what do you try to do to the fish? You try to catch them, right? You try to catch them and then sell them and eat them, right? That's not what we're going to do, all that stuff. But you try to catch, so to be a fisherman of people, you try to catch people, right? Evangelize them. Or what we learn at the very end of Matthew, go therefore and what? Make disciples. That's what fishing, that's what fishing for people is. You're going to try to catch people and get them to also follow Jesus. Bring them to salvation. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to the light out of darkness. Bring them to eternal life from death. Call them and lead them to follow Jesus. Call them and lead them to believe in the gospel. Call them and lead them to get baptized. Call them and lead them to join God's people, his community, the church. Call them to keep on learning and following Jesus and call them to become fishers of men themselves so that they too make disciples of other people. That's Jesus's task here. His, he's saying, follow me. He's telling them, you follow me and I will make you fishermen of people. Now, why does God want to make us fishermen of people? Why does he want us to fish for people? Because he loves people. God so loved the world. God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. God loved the world in this way that he gave his son fishers of men to help catch more people. Why does he do that? Because he loves the world. He loves the lost. God rejoices in people's repentance. He celebrates in heaven with the angels when people repent. He celebrates their repentance, their faith, their conversion, their life in Christ, their joining of God's family, their sharing in God's joy and glory, and their making disciples further on. God rejoices in them not only living life on this earth, but then dying in the Lord to join God, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then when Christ comes again, they come back with him and they meet the others who are raised from the dead and they meet him and then they reign on earth. And then after that, they reign for eternity together. That's what God loves. God loves to save people. God loves to redeem people. He loves to catch people like fishermen of people. He loves to send fishermen of people out to catch more people. He not only loves the people who are being caught, he loves the fishermen who get to rejoice in the experience of catching people. God is a God of love. 
He's a God of salvation. And so we're grateful for that. So follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishermen of people. Where does this idea of fishermen of people come from? I'm going to give you two Old Testament texts, and then we'll get into our outline, okay? Where does this idea of fishermen for people come from? I'm going to go to, first text would be Jeremiah 16. So turn, to your, turn in your Bible to Jeremiah 16. If you, it's page 683 in the Pew Bible. If you have that, keep your finger or your bookmark in Matthew chapter 4 if you like. But turn to Jeremiah 16. And if you can't find it, don't worry, you can just listen. But it, it's, uh, it might help you to really grasp how the Bible fits together if you turn here. This one is not as obvious a connection, and so I'm not going to say, thus says the Lord. I think, there, I think there's a connection here, but I think it's really helpful for us to see it. Jeremiah 16, the, the phrase is in verse 16, Jeremiah 16, 16. Jesus, or not Jesus, God says to Jeremiah, I am about to send for many what? Fishermen. Fishermen. This is the Lord's declaration. And they will fish for them. Then I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my gaze takes in all their ways. They are not concealed from me, and their iniquity is not hidden from my sight. I see their sins. I will first repay them double for their iniquity and sin, because they have polluted my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their abhorrent and detestable idols. So here you have the people of God, Judea, Judah. They are idolatrous. They are detestable. They are iniquitous. They are sinful. And so what is God going to send? Hunters and fishermen to catch them, to judge them. That doesn't sound like Matthew chapter 4, right? I was just talking about the God of love and a God of redemption. But here it's fishermen. This is the only reference, you know, or connection in the Old Testament. A fishermen, but fishermen for judgment. Is this connected to Matthew chapter 4? Well, you have judgment further in verse 10. So let's, let's, let's spend a little bit of time here in Jeremiah 16. Look at Jeremiah 16, verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says this. Let's, let's think a little bit more about the judgment. That's, this is 600 years before Jesus steps on the scene. God's people are going to be judged, the southern kingdom. And look at Jeremiah 16, verse 10. When you tell these people, when you tell these people all these things, they will say to you, why has the Lord declared all this terrible disaster against us? Why this judgment? What is our iniquity? What is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you, Jeremiah, will answer them, because your fathers abandoned me. This is the Lord's declaration. And followed other gods. They served them and bowed in worship to them. Indeed, they abandoned me and did not keep my instruction. You did more evil than your fathers. Look, each one of you was following the stubbornness of his, of his evil heart, not obeying me. So I will hurl you from this land into a land that you and your fathers are not familiar with. There you will worship other gods both day and night, for I will not grant you grace. No grace, only judgment. And this is the judgment of what? To kick them out of the land of Israel into a land that's not their own. What do we call that in the Bible? Exile, right? You will be exiled. Just like Adam and Eve were exiled out of the Garden of Eden, you are going to be exiled, Judah, out of the promised land because you have been idolatrous. Your fathers have been idolatrous and you're even worse than them because you perpetuated this idolatry. And therefore, you are also going to be exiled from the land in judgment for your sins. I will bring fishermen and I'll bring hunters and they will hunt you down and they will catch you and they will make sure you face judgment for your sins. That's Jeremiah 16. 
judgment for sin, exile. But there's hope in Jeremiah 16. Let's read the hope verses. Verses 14 and 15. Look at Jeremiah 16. And this is where I think the fishers of men idea that Jesus is picking up on. It's not just fishing for men in judgment, but look at verses 14 and 15. However, look, the days are coming. Don't you love the word however after a bunch of bad news of judgment? (laughs) I'm going to judge you. I'm going to kill you. You're judged for your sins. However, the days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. That's the Exodus, right? Exodus redemption. We're not going to talk about the Exodus redemption anymore, but rather, as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites from the land of the north and from all the other lands where he had banished them. For I will return them to their land that I gave to their ancestors. All right, when you think of Israel, what's their biggest, what's their 4th of July? What's their Independence Day? What's their celebration for that? Passover, right? We were busted out and redeemed out of Egypt, out of slavery. That is like, when we sing all the songs about the cross and we talk about being cross-centered Christians, everything's about Jesus and the cross. For an Israelite, everything's about the Passover lamb and the Exodus. All their songs, all their psalms, everything is about the Passover and salvation from Egypt. But God is saying here, they're not going to say that anymore. It's no, longer about, it's, not, it's no longer about the exodus from Egypt. It's now about what? The exodus from where? Inver- from what? I heard Sally say it, maybe, or someone. Oh, from what? Other lands. That's in verse 15. Did you see that? So in other words, you're not going to celebrate the first exodus anymore as defining who you are. You know what you're going to celebrate? The second exodus. Not exodus from Egypt, but exodus from exile in the other lands. What do we call that? We call that redemption. Isn't that what Jesus came to bring? Jesus came to bring redemption from the second, ex- the second exile, or the, yeah, from exile in the second exodus. And how's he going to do it? Well, there's going to be fishermen to get them out of Egypt or to get them out of exile. But read on. Let's go to verse 19. Look at Jeremiah 16, verse 19. Here you have the promise. Because is this just for Israel? Lord, my strength and my stronghold. Jeremiah prays, my refuge in time of distress. Who's going to come to you? Who will come to, to, to God? The nations, the ethnic people groups, the ethnicities. The ethnic people groups will come to you from where? From the ends of the earth. And they will say, our fathers inherited only lies. Worthless idols of no benefit at all. They're starting to realize that, that their heritage apart from God is worthless. So what, do they, so what does God say? Or uh, continuing on, can one make gods for himself? But they are not gods. So what does God say? Therefore, God says, I am about to inform the ethnic people groups from the ends of the earth. And this time I will make them know my power and my might. Then they will know that my name is what? The Lord. Lord. What's another translation for that? It's all capital Yahweh. They will know my covenant name. Okay, brothers and sisters, get this. Here's the hope of this passage. They will go in, Israel will go into exile, into judgment. There will be a second exodus for them to come out. But it's not just them who are going to be saved. All the ethnic people groups are going to come from the ends of the earth, and God will make known to them his power, his strength, and his covenant name. Yahweh, the God who saves, the God who brings blessing, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God will be known not just to the Israelites, but to who? All the nations from the ends of the earth. Surely this is good news. And God is going to use fishermen to do it. Fishermen of people. 
He's going to send his son to accomplish the second exodus as the Passover lamb. And that second, that Passover lamb, that sacrifice, that Messiah, he's going to send fishermen for people. And they will fish for people to bring them out of the exile of darkness and judgment and sin in the second exodus that Jesus accomplishes. That's what's going on here when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishermen of people. But there's another Old Testament text and you don't have to turn there for this one. Genesis 12, one through three. What do you have? What's the command in, in, in our passage in Matthew four? What's the command? Two words. What is it? Follow me. Jesus is saying, follow me and I will make you fishermen of people. Is Jesus commanding us to fish for people in that, in that, in that phrase? Think about the wording. Think about your English grammar in the sentence there. Is Jesus commanding us to be fishermen of people? No. no. What does he say? What is, he, what is it? If it's not a command, what is it? It's a promise. It's a prediction. You follow me. That's your responsibility. You follow me. And what's my responsibility? God says, I will what? I'll make you fishermen of people. You don't have to, that's not, that's not your responsibility at this point. You will do it, but I am responsible to make you that. Your responsibility is to follow Jesus. Does that sound like any other passage in the Old Testament? Command with a promise right after? Genesis 12, where God says to Abraham, he says to Abraham, go from your land and your relatives and your father's house to the land I will show you. So you go, that's the command. You go, and then what's the, what's the promise? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make you to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Is Abraham supposed to make himself a blessing? No. Is Abraham supposed to make himself a great nation? No. no. What is he supposed to do? Go. Follow. Just go where I tell you to go. I will be the one to make you a blessing. You just follow me, Abraham, and I'll make you a blessing. Now here to these, to these four fishermen, you just follow me and I will what? I'll make you a blessing. I will reverse the curse of sin in my death and resurrection, and I will send you to become that blessing. So even in this, go and I, uh, follow me and I will make you fish for people, you have an expression of the fulfillment of God making Abraham's seed a blessing to the nations. All right, so what's the main goal of this passage? Obviously, follow Jesus. That was a long introduction. The three points will not be uh, this half, uh, half the sermon, but um, here's the main idea now. Now you're ready to get the main idea, okay? Following Jesus is the main idea, but here, here it is. Here's how I wrote it. Follow Jesus as a real disciple, not a fickle fan. Follow Jesus as a real disciple and not a fickle fan. A fan who cheers on Jesus from the sideline, but is fickle when life gets hard. God will either make you a real disciple, a fisherman of people, or you won't follow Jesus and you'll be a fickle fan. Okay, so how do we follow Jesus to be a real disciple or to express our real discipleship? What does real discipleship look like? How does a real disciple follow Jesus as opposed to a fickle fan? Three ways. Follow Jesus quickly, follow Jesus completely, and follow Jesus compellingly. Okay, follow Jesus quickly, follow Jesus completely, and follow Jesus compellingly. You got that? Some of you are taking notes. I'll say it one more time. Three ways a real disciple follows Jesus. Quickly, completely, and compellingly. Three C's. Just kidding. First one's cute. All right, follow Jesus quickly. 
Follow Jesus quickly. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. Go to Matthew 4, verse 18. So here's Jesus walking around, and he calls, first of all, in verses 18, he calls Simon and Andrew for their fishermen. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. All right. Is this weird? Would it be weird if you were literally at work, you're 9 to 5, and then some religious teacher comes to your cubicle or your office and um, says, hey, you, leave your desk, leave your job, come follow me. I'll make you fish for people. And then you're like, okay. And you just get up and go. Or your coworker does that. They just get up and go. Would you be like, you know what? My coworker is so discerning. You know, he just, he, he, really, he really knows where he's going in life. I mean, it, it would look, what would you think? What would you think if a religious teacher came to your work and they called your coworker and he literally quit his job right there and followed that religious teacher? What would you think about that person? They're crazy, right? He's in a cult. He's drinking the Kool-Aid. Something's wrong, right? He's not supposed to be doing that. And yet they do that here. And we're like looking at them as an example. Is that weird? Does that feel weird to you that, that we look at this as an example? Well, let me help you with it a little bit. Okay, so um, this is not the first time they met Jesus. Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And so was John, James's brother. They were followers of John the Baptist. They, John told them, look, behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. So, so they knew Jesus was the Messiah. They were probably there at Jesus' baptism. Not only that, get this. Um, they were with Jesus, and they followed him after that. Andrew brought Peter. They followed, they followed Jesus for a little while. So in John 1 through 4, you get more of the story of the first year. Remember, Jesus has a ministry of obscurity, and now it's the ministry of popularity, and then finally the, the, ministry, the ministry of hostility, those three segments. During the year of obscurity, they followed Jesus, Peter and Andrew, James and John. They were there, most likely, when Jesus turned the water into wine at Cana. Because it wasn't just Jesus, it was his disciples. They were there when Jesus cleansed the temple. They were there when they were baptizing people in the Jordan and baptizing more people than John was baptizing. They were there when um, Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman that he's not supposed to talk to at the well. And they went to get Jesus food. And then when they came back to give Jesus food, Jesus says, I'm not even hungry. After he sent them, go get me food. They go, they come back, and he says, I'm not hungry. My, my food is to do the will of God. And then he gospelizes the woman. The woman calls the whole, the, whole, the whole town of Sychar there. And then they all believe that Jesus is the Messiah sent into the world. They saw all of that before this, before this event. So then when Jesus says, follow me, does it make a little bit more sense that they, that they left their nets and followed Jesus? Okay, so, so they, they, they were familiar with him. But then if they were already familiar with him, if they were already following him and they saw all these miracles, why does Jesus need to say, follow me? I mean, weren't they already disciples following him? What's the difference here? Anyone know the difference? Well, the difference here, well, actually, let me, let me, let me hold that question to, to the next point on following Jesus completely. Before we get to that point, let's, let's think about what they, let's look at the reaction. I, I just gave you background to, to let you know that they, that they were familiar with Jesus. He says very clearly to them, follow me and I'll make you fisher, fishermen of people. And what was their response in verse 20? Look at Matthew 4, verse 20. What was their response? Immediately they what? They left their nets and what? Followed him. But what's that first word? Immediately. So quickly. So here's my application to you. Here's point number one. Follow Jesus quickly. Follow Jesus immediately. They respond quickly and they decide to follow Jesus. True disciples are decisive in following Jesus. 
They, they follow Jesus quickly. Fickle fans procrastinate. Fickle fans procrastinate. They appreciate Jesus. They see some good things about Jesus, but they don't want to follow him immediately. They want to they wanna think about it more. They want to dwell on it. And it's not the good type of dwelling. So if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, thank you for being here this morning if you're not a Christian. Let me say to you, we are not against you carefully and thoughtfully considering Jesus. We understand you'll, you'll have questions. Actually, we're glad. We're glad if you have questions. And, and if you're taking time to carefully think about who Jesus is and whether all of this stuff is true. That's great. Get your questions answered. Talk to God today because he's talking to you now. Know that today is the day of salvation and tomorrow's not guaranteed to you. We want you to make a decision today. We want you to follow Jesus right now. God is telling you to follow Jesus today. And yet... You do need to think about it. So if you're intentionally, seriously prioritizing the fact that you're trying to figure out this Christianity thing, then I think you're not, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to the fickle professing Christians. I'm talking to the non-Christians who say that they're exploring Jesus, but they're, they're literally just taking their sweet time as if they have tomorrow promised to them. And they're just procrastinating. That is not real discipleship. Jesus is calling us to follow Jesus quickly. In Acts chapter 24, verses 24 to 26, you don't have to turn there, but there's this man named Felix. He's a governor, and, and he calls Paul. He calls Paul to um, come in and share the gospel with him. He's, one of, he's Paul's prisoner, and he says, you know what? I like, I like this story about Jesus. So he, him and his wife, and he, he actually stole his wife, I think from his brother. I don't remember the exact history right now off the top of my head. I think he stole his wife from his brother. So he married his brother's wife, so there's adultery and sexual immorality there. And then he calls Paul, and Paul will preach to him about the judgment of God and repentance and faith. And so, but, but Felix liked hearing about it. So he would call Paul as a prisoner, almost like a, you know, you don't have a smartphone, you don't have movies to watch. So why don't we just call in Paul for some entertainment tonight? Let's call Paul in. He'll give us a, let's hear his spiel again from a different way. Let's, let's ask him a few other questions. Let's get some entertainment for the night. Then we'll send him back to his prison cell. And so Felix would do that regularly. And it says Felix was thinking about the way, but he would not make a decision. He was actually hoping that Paul would bribe him with some money so that he could get him free. And then Felix ended up being removed from being a governor, and he died never, as far as we know, he never set Paul free. So he never really believed. I mean, if he would have believed, he would have set Paul free. At least by the time he left Paul, he still didn't believe in the gospel. That's how a lot of people are. Yeah, it even said he was fearful of God. It, it might be, that might be true of you, that you are interested in hearing about the Bible. You might come to church every week. You might even be a member of a church and hear God. And yet you're not really deciding to follow Jesus. You're still thinking. You're still on the fence. You're still weighing it out. You're still procrastinating. He was, Felix was too slow. He was too hesitant. And I'm sure he regrets it now in hell. But it's too late. Too slow, too hesitant, too much on his mind, too late now. Time ran out for Felix. And my prayer is that time doesn't run out for you. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not even guaranteed the next five minutes. Neither am I. What does this mean for church family? Christian brother or sister, do you procrastinate in your actual following of Jesus, even though you, quick, you confess to quickly follow him? Are you procrastinating, Christian, in following Jesus? 
Is Jesus calling you to follow him specifically into some conversation, into some relationship and into some initiative and you're just procrastinating? Is there something you know God wants you to do in following him and you're holding back and you're procrastinating rather than quickly following him? Or is God telling you to, to, to move out of something because you're in sin and you're in a sinful situation and you're procrastinating getting out of it? Are you following Jesus quickly or are you procrastinating like a fickle fan? Brother or sister, Jesus is loving you and calling you to follow him immediately. Amen. Church family, let us expect quick obedience from each other. Let us model it for one another. Let us hold one another accountable to follow Jesus. That's why we have church membership to hold each other accountable, to strengthen each other, and to challenge each other. Let us teach one another that delayed obedience is disobedience. If you're discouraged or weak or stumbling or you feel stubbornly stuck in your sin, here's good news for you. You don't need to fix yourself. Just decide to come to him now. Just drop your nets, follow him, stop your resisting, trust in him. He is good to you and he will do good for you. Not in the way you might expect, but he will. When is the best time to stay in sin? Never. When is the best time to follow Jesus? Right now. Immediately. Quickly. So follow Jesus as a real disciple and not a fickle fan. Number two. So don't only follow Jesus quickly. Secondly, follow Jesus completely. Look at what they did here in chapter 4, verse 18, or verse 20. Immediately they left their what? Nets and followed him. And then also James and John later on, they were preparing their nets and immediately they left their boat. So what did they leave? They left their jobs. Now, most people in America idolatrously live for their jobs. We live for our jobs. That's true in many cultures. Jesus calls his disciples to a new occupation. God may not be calling you to a new occupation, but he is calling all of you to a new preoccupation. Money and work are necessary, but they are secondary. These brothers here, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, left their security. They left their jobs. They left their jobs. Why, were they, why, why would they leave their jobs? So, so this, this seems more like, now going back to the story, about why would they leave their jobs? Why would Jesus call them to follow them, him now if, he, if they were already following Jesus? It seems to me that they were following Jesus part-time before. Not in a bad way. I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a derogatory way, like they were unfaithful. It seems to me that in that first year of Jesus' ministry, in his ministry of obscurity, he went, they went with him to, to Cana, to the water and to wine, or they went with him to Samaria. They went with him to certain things, but they were still working. They would still go back to their fishing job. So they followed Jesus, because Jesus was teaching everywhere, right? So they'd follow Jesus. He'd tell them to come along with him on a mission trip of sorts. They'd come back home. They'd go back to work. And then Jesus would, would just kind of, they'd check in with Jesus every so often. And then at this point, Jesus is saying, follow me and I will make you fishermen of people. Quit your job. So at this point for these four, he's saying, quit your job and follow me now. You've been following me faithfully, part-time, but now it's time for you guys to go full-time. That's what he's doing for them, I think. That's what's going on here. And so what he's doing for us is not necessarily he's telling you to quit your job, but he is telling you to follow Jesus. And the only reason you do your job is to follow Jesus Amen. and not the other way around. Not only did they leave their job, which is meaning leaving their financial security, what else did they leave? Look at verse 22. Immediately they left the boat and who else? Their father 
and follow Jesus. So not only leave your jobs, but leave your what? Family. Leave your family. It's one thing to leave your work. But oftentimes we who are workaholics, we work for who? Why do we work? For our who? For our families. That, that's why we do. So, so this is a step up in terms of sacrifice. It's one thing to quit your job and sacrifice your job. It's another thing to quit the reason why you're working. For your families. And yet Jesus is saying, follow me and even leaving your families. That's another level. They left their dad. Who's older? You're leaving him to do all the hard work of preparing the nets? You guys are able-bodied young men. You're leaving your older father to do the work. They left their dad. But you know, that's not surprising. This is in line with, Jesus, with what Jesus teaches elsewhere, isn't it? Yes. Look at Matthew chapter 10. You're in Matthew 4. Go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 32. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 32, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but what? But a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some people say, that's not hard. Um, And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. And then here it is, verses 37, 38, and 39. The one who loves father or mother more than me is not what? Worthy of me. The one who loves son or daughter more than me is not what? Worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. For James and John to leave their father is not abnormal for Christianity, for followers of Jesus. Jesus demands soul allegiance, ultimate allegiance to him. Or to use Old Testament terms, you shall have no other gods before me. Amen. Honor your father and mother is on that list. It's just number five. It's not number one, and there's a reason for that. Because number one is you shall have no other gods before me. The point here is that Jesus is stepping up on their, his, his demand on their lives to increase it for his agenda. Basically, Jesus is saying, in terms of leaving your job and your, your family, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these, All these things will be added to you, unto you, says the King James, right? So, th- what is Jesus telling us to do? Not just follow him quickly, but follow him completely. There, is no, there should be no 1A or 1B in your priorities. It's just Jesus. Everything else is secondary. Everyone else is secondary. And a far second at that. So wait, if it's your job, brothers, I'm not telling you to quit your job. Sisters, I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm telling you Colossians 3, 23 and 24, which is basically whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Jesus is your boss, not your boss. Your boss at work is not your boss. Never been your boss. Never could be your Lord. Jesus is. Always has been if you're a Christian, ever since you were a Christian. So this may, might mean leaving your family like Abraham. I didn't, isn't this what God told Abraham? Go from your land and leave your relatives and your father's house. Abraham had to do this. Abraham had to leave his dad to follow God's call. 
and become a blessing. And now here Peter, John, James, and Andrew have to leave their family and work to become a blessing to others. So it might mean for you leaving your family, or it might mean for you reframing your family. In Mark 3, 31 to 34, Jesus is teaching, and you know, they say, hey, VIP passes, your mom and your brothers are here. Let them through the crowd, Jesus. And Jesus says, what? Who's my mom and brother and sister? Here's my mom and brother and sister. Those who do the will of God are my mother and brother and sister. These are my family. So now Jesus starts to define family not along biological and adoption lines, but, uh, but along the lines of Jesus himself. He is the line of who's your family and who's not your family. He becomes the dividing line and the uniting line. I mean, even think about when Jesus was on the cross and, his, and he was dying and he needs to take care of his mom. Jesus had brothers, but who did he entrust his mom to? John, his, his, his disciple. Because family for Jesus, even though he had biological brothers and Mary had biological sons, they were not yet believers at the time. And Jesus entrusts his mom to the care of his disciple over his own brothers. So we leave our families or we reframe the priority of our families for Jesus to be central if you're going to follow Jesus completely. If you're not a Christian, here's the good news. uh, What am I telling you if you're not a Christian? I'm telling you you need to leave everything to follow Jesus. You're saying, that's a tall ask. That's That's a tall order. Here's the good news. Jesus left his Father in heaven. Jesus is not asking you to do anything he hasn't done himself. Jesus was sitting next to the Father at his right hand, ruling and reigning over the universe with angels adoring him. And he left his Father in heaven, became a man, took on human flesh. Now he's truly God and truly man. He lives under this broken world, this cursed world, rejected by people, scorned by people, mocked by people, under the brokenness of this world by, his, by these people's sins and not his own. And yet he humbled himself and became a servant, obedient to the Father, following that will of leaving his dad in heaven to become a fisher for people. So he comes to this earth, he dies on the cross for our sins, and he rises from the dead to save us from our sins, to get us out of exile, to make us fishers of people, to make us a blessing even though we're cursed. He blesses us, and then he makes us a blessing to other people. Because he did it. So the good news, if you're not a Christian, is you don't have to work really hard. You don't have to work at all to become a Christian, to be forgiven. You just need to trust in Jesus because he left his father to come here to save you by dying for your sins and rising from the dead. If you will repent from your sins and trust in him. So I invite you, if you're not a Christian, to trust in Jesus. What a sweet savior we have. When you, when you think about follow me, the, the power to obey that command, follow me, is in not the follow, but in the me. Who are we following? We're following one who humbled himself and left his father because of his love for us. That's an easy person to follow. It's a tall order to follow, but when you think about who we're following, it, it, we do see why it's appealing. If you're a church, for our, our church family, what question for you what are the nets in your hands still? Why are you, or do you have an incomplete following of Jesus right now? If so, why? Who are the people in your boat that you won't leave? What are the nets in your hand that you won't drop? 
to follow Jesus. He's calling you to follow him completely. For, the, for brothers and sisters here, what have you given up to follow Jesus? A lot of you have given up a lot to follow Jesus. Many of you have left, your, left people in the boat and have dropped nets to follow Jesus. And I want to commend you. On behalf of our church family, I want to say to every member here who's following Jesus, truly, thank you for following Jesus. Thank you for following Jesus. Thank you for trusting Jesus. Thank you for giving up your life and entrusting your life to Jesus and allowing God to make you a fisherman of people because our church is enriched by the fact that we have members here who have left everything to follow Jesus. Aren't you grateful as, a, as an individual member of this church that you have other members of this church who have given up everything to follow Jesus? That's your blessing, right? They are an encouragement to you because they give up everything to be fishers of people, which means blessing you. So if you are one of those members who've given up everything to follow Jesus, thank you. On behalf of the rest of this church family, thank you for dropping your nets and leaving people in the boat to follow him. We are the better for it. God has become our family and we are now the family of God. Children, what does this mean for you kids? It means you follow Jesus above your parents. It means you follow Jesus above and before your parents. And for parents, what does this mean? It means you teach your children to follow Jesus above you. You tell them that with your words. Teach them that dad and mom are wrong sometimes and that God is never wrong and that whenever it comes between the two, they always need to choose Jesus. Teach them that. If you're discouraged, don't look to your own strength to make you fish for people. You might be feeling weak. You might be discouraged. You might be stumbling in sin. Jesus will make you a fisherman of people. Amen. Follow him. Trust in him. Keep your eyes on him in the struggle. And he will come through for you. Okay, so follow Jesus quickly. Secondly, follow Jesus completely. And lastly, follow Jesus compellingly. So we learned that true followers um, are not just, they trust Jesus with everything. Fickle fans only trust Jesus with some things or most things. But lastly here, follow Jesus compellingly. Look at verses 22 to 25, all right? Matthew 4, 22 to 25. So here we see Jesus going all over Galilee. He's preaching and teaching and healing. You see that there? It says in verse 23, he went all over in synagogues. He's teaching, and then he's preaching the good news of what? The kingdom, and then he's healing people everywhere. What does that mean? So, so what does it mean that Jesus is teaching? What does it mean to teach? Teaching and preaching are not the same thing. They're close. They're not the same thing. Teaching is explaining truth. Teaching is explaining truth. Preaching is announcing truth and calling for a response. Okay? So teaching might be saying, let me explain to you what it means that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. Let me explain it to you. So I start explaining what it means. That's teaching. And then I say, Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Repent from your sins and trust in him. That part is announcing. That's preaching. Okay? So there's a fine line between the two. You actually mix up a lot of it. But Jesus is teaching people about the goodness of God. And then he's preaching. And what is he preaching in verse 23? Somebody tell me. What is he preaching in verse 23? The good news of what? The kingdom. What's another word for good news? Gospel. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's redeeming and renewing rule. That's what the kingdom of God is. God's people 
being redeemed into God's place, God's renewed place under God's rule. So God is redeeming people. He's putting them in his renewed place under his rule, his redeeming and renewing rule. So Jesus is saying, hey, everyone, the kingdom is here. God is bringing his people back. You guys were in exile and you guys are stuck in your sin and stuck under Rome, but God is bringing about his kingdom. He's gathering his people back into his place under his king, me, the Messiah, Jesus is saying, as he continues to preach the good news. And so people are hearing it, people are excited about it, and people start to follow Jesus. We learn as we continue on in Matthew that this kingdom comes through a cross. Jesus is not saying that here in Matthew chapter 4, but later he'll he'll teach them that this kingdom comes through a cross, but it ends up in a new heaven and a new earth. The kingdom comes through a cross, but it ends up in a new heaven and a new earth. So Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. He's teaching, preaching, what's the last thing he's doing? Healing, right? You guys see that? In verse 23, he's healing every disease and sickness among people. Um, They brought to him all those who were afflicted, those who were suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. He healed them. And so large crowds followed him, preaching, teaching, and healing. This is different than John the Baptist. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Did John the Baptist do preaching, teaching, and healing? No, which one did he miss? Which one was John the Baptist not doing? He wasn't doing the healing. And so um, what's the point of the healings? Why is this a new, a new era in the ministry? So Jesus is doing something different than John. He's healing. What's the point of the healings? It's displaying God's active kingdom, the curse-reversing rule of God. It's displaying the reversal of the curse in that present moment and situation. Jesus is saying, the kingdom is here. The curse is being reversed. You want me to prove it? Let me heal that paralytic. Let me cast out that demon. Let me raise this dead person. When he does that, he's showing you that the kingdom, the power of God that's reversing the curse is real and it's here. Now, that's not a permanent fix at that point. Guess what? The people that he raised from the dead, guess what happened later on in their lives? They died again. They died again. And that's not to say that the raising from the dead was meaningless. It meant something. It was showing that this kingdom is real. The curse-reversing reign is coming in Jesus. It's, it's really actually here. So as he preaches and teaches, he proves it in his love of healing people and showing them that, that God's kingdom is here. Ultimately, God's healing comes through the cross. That's what Matthew eight seventeen says. Jesus on the cross not only bore our sins, he bore our sicknesses. It says in Matthew eight seventeen quoting Isaiah 53. So the healing physically, our resurrection bodies that we're going to get in the end, anyone here want a resurrection body? Anyone's body's breaking down? All the young people are saying no, all the kids, right? They don't don't know what's going on here among us adults, but we know that our bodies are failing generally, right? Generally. Um, And so we want a resurrection body. And Jesus' point in healing is, brothers and sisters, there is a resurrection body. His death and resurrection has purchased that for us. The kingdom will come in its fullness. So that's the point of the healing. And not only does Jesus heal, you know who else gets the power to heal? The disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they start healing as well. Different than John the Baptist. They're healing. And so what's the primary application here? If Jesus is preaching, teaching, and healing, what do we need to be doing? If he's preaching to us, we need to be hearing, right? Listening and believing his announcement. If Jesus is teaching, we need to be learning, And if Jesus is healing, we need to be coming to him with our sickness and our brokenness and getting him to heal us and to to fill up our brokenness. That's what we need to do. We need to listen and receive from Jesus. So Matthew, but it goes further than that. 
That's the primary application, okay? We need to come to Jesus for learning, for believing, and for healing. But let me go to a secondary application, but I'm going to put this forward and and spend the last uh, three or four minutes here on this. Because Matthew is contrasting. Look at verse 25. Large crowds did what? What did large crowds do in verse 25? Followed him. Matthew's contrasting fickle followers and real followers. What's the difference? Real followers are compelled to follow Jesus. That's why I say follow Jesus compellingly. They are transformed and they compel others to follow Jesus. So not only they're compelled to follow Jesus, they're so compelled and excited about Jesus that they want to have other people what? Follow Jesus. Fickle fans follow only out of obligation. Now, are we obligated to follow Jesus? Yes or no? Yes. And it's a blessed obligation. Let us not complain about obligations. Duties are blessings when they're right, when they're right duties. But if it's only duty and it's only obligation all the time, then you're not a real follower. Now, that, that's sometimes, and sometimes, let's just be honest, we don't feel like following Jesus. But if that's your experience all the time, world without end, then you're not really a, fo- a follower of Jesus, not a real one. You're a fickle follower. They follow Jesus only out of obligation. And then a second characteristic for them, if they're not following him compellingly, they don't compel others to follow Jesus. They don't fish for people. You know what we say here sometimes as we open the service? I know some of you are not here on time. I want to encourage you guys to be here on time. 10.10, we start 10.15. Be here at 10.10, be here at 10.05. Don't make it, break your habit of coming in late for those who are building that habit. But what we say in the beginning is, um, we understand here that everyone has follow, obstacles in following Jesus. And what do we, then we say, we share our lives to help you what? Follow Jesus so that, here's the compellingly part, why? So that you experience the what? The joy of, of you doing what? Helping, of you helping others follow Jesus. What are we saying in that, mission, in that mission statement? We're saying we're not just here to follow Jesus. We are here to help you follow Jesus so that you experience the joy in Jesus, not just obligation. You experience the joy in following Jesus when you help other people follow Jesus. That's, compel, that's following Jesus compellingly. It's not just a drudgery to follow Jesus. It's not a drudgery to tell other people about Jesus. There's joy when you help other people follow Jesus. How many of you brothers and sisters have helped another person follow Jesus? You've taught them a truth. You've helped them see Jesus and you've seen a light bulb go off in their head. Isn't that a sweet blessing? There are a few joys that compare to that. To helping other people follow Jesus. True followers follow Jesus compellingly, they're compelled by Jesus so much that they compel others to follow Jesus. So Jesus calls us to be compelling. We need to learn. If, if Jesus is teaching, we need, to learn and we need to learn about Jesus and we need to explain Jesus to others. Brothers and sisters, don't just say, well, ask the pastor. You could say that sometimes, but don't just say that. If that's all you're saying whenever anyone has a question, you're not being discipled well. So come talk to me. And I'll, it's my job to help you to not say that. So that's okay if you're there. It's probably my fault more than yours. But let me know so I could make sure to equip you so that you don't have to always say, ask the pastor. You need to learn and explain Jesus. You need to preach to people and declare to them that God is good in Christ and they can be saved. You need to not only preach and heal, you also teach, preach and teach. You also need to be able to what? Heal. Okay, what am I saying there? Am I going charismatic now? No. Well, not really, sort of, I guess. No, I'm not. I'm not going charismatic, but healing, what does it mean to heal? Well, for them, it's clearly you're healing people from sicknesses. And there is the gift of healing in the New Testament, 
But that's not my application right here. My point here is that we don't just teach and preach. We are blessing people and serving their whole life. Okay, what, what that means is if someone is, is um, cold and homeless and they're outside the door and they're shivering and they're hungry, you don't just say, I, you know what, I really, the best thing I could do is preach the gospel to you. And that is the best thing you could do. So that's all you do. You tell them about the gospel and then you shut the door in their face. It's like, wait, the, the message you just preached and the rest of your heart and care for me don't match. It, in other words, preaching and teaching is the main thing and the core of what we do, but this beautiful package comes in a package. It's not just put out there. It's, it comes in a package. So if you think about the gospel as a drink, liquid, you don't just kind of put liquid in front of people, right? You put it in a container and you give them the drink in a container. In the same way that we preach and teach the gospel, that is the core. We're not all about water bottles. We're about the living water inside the bottle, right? But we don't just... just Put water, we don't just pour out water in front of them, like, here, drink this, and you start pouring it in front of them. You put it in a container, and then you give it to them. That is the healing, loving, holistic delivery of the living water that we want to give them. Brothers and sisters in churches like this that are theologically minded and expository in their emphasis, we need to be careful that it's not just about preaching and teaching. It's primarily about preaching and teaching. And the goal is preaching and teaching. The goal is conversion, not just to feed them. But to only give them conversion and not to feed them is also sinful. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's, you're not compelling anyone to follow Jesus when all you do is give them the message and you don't love them in any other way. When they have burning, broken needs in front of you. That doesn't commend the gospel. It hinders the gospel. And so what we talk about healing here, I want to talk about as blessing people. Did you know that wherever the gospel spread in America, there were three things that started? Churches. You know what else besides churches? Schools. And what's the third one? Hospitals. Churches, schools, and hospitals. Preaching, teaching, healing. That's the, that's the history of... Like, why are most, you know, some hospitals saints, you know, and, and they, have a, they have a name out... Why? Because Christians understood if you're giving the gospel to people and you don't care about their sickness and their pain, you're not faithfully gospelizing. It's not just preaching and teaching. It is that primarily. So we need to teach them how to read so that when we give them the Bible, they can understand what, what they're reading so that they don't have to rely on the pastor. They can check it for themselves. So let's get a school up. But then they're sick and they're dying. So what do we need to do? We need to heal. We need to start hospitals. So modern medicine is a Christian. It has Christian origins. Because Christians were not superstitious. Like a lot of the other native religions. And so they would try healing through all their native, demonic, um, false religious um, activities. And Christians understood that God made the world and we could learn science and figure out how to heal these people. So, brothers and sisters... We are called to preach, teach, and heal. And I don't mean by that just the miraculous gift of healing. I don't even mean that primarily. I mean caring for the whole person. Packaging the gospel in your love and sacrifice for them so that they might drink the living water. We have done that in this church. Food packs, helping the homeless, Christmas gifts, caroling. There's lots of opportunities in Bellflower and Southeast LA County. There's 1.3 million people here who need the gospel. They need the water and they need it to come in a cup and in a water bottle and not just splattered in front of them to drink. 
Christian, if you're not a Christian, you might be turned off to the fact that we're trying to convert you. We, we are not ashamed of that. We might be a little bit tentative to say it that way, but that's true. We, are, we want to convert you. And that might be a turnoff for you. But let me just say, that would, be, that would be understandably arrogant if we were wrong or if we're trying to exalt ourselves. But if we're trying to serve you, even if we're wrong, at least understand that we love you. It would be similar to we believe that your house is on fire and you're still in the house and you don't know there's a fire. And so we're trying to get you out. It's not because we're selfish and we want you to give offering or, 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 or get another person to, to say, hey, look at who else I saved. It's we want you to get out of the house that's on fire. So yes, we try to convert, but not for our own glory, but for your good and for God's glory. All right, so to close, let's follow Jesus as a real disciple, not a fickle fan. Follow him quickly, follow him completely, follow him compellingly. If you don't, if you don't do this, if you don't follow Jesus in this way, you will reject Jesus and God will continue to reject you. You will be deceived as a follower, but not really a follower. You'll be a fickle follower thinking you're a true follower. And lastly, you will not channel God's blessings to your neighbors, the nations, or your church. But if you do follow Jesus, if you decide today to follow Jesus quickly, completely, and compellingly, you will know Jesus deeper, you will enjoy him fuller, and you will embody Jesus clearer to your church, to our neighbors, and to the nations who desperately need him. They need him. So brothers and sisters, follow Jesus, and he will make you fishermen of people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that if there are nets that are hindering us and people in our boat that are hindering us or that we are being hindered by, it's our fault. Help us to trust you and follow you completely. If we have procrastinating hesitations, help us to repent from that and follow you quickly. And if we have been loveless, if we have been um, so slow to tell other people about you because we're just comfortable with us being Christians, forgive us and help us to compellingly follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.